are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Welcome back to Planet 8, actually a best of Planet 8, hopefully the last best of Planet 8. Next to me is Commander Larry, back from limbo. Yes, thank you, Chief, finally. back. Thank you. I'm in the mobile, mobile, mobile command. <laughs> we have a temp housing set up here for the next 12 months as they rebuild our home. Um, it's good to be back. I, I've missed uh, you guys. Uh, even though we talk offline, it's that special something with the podcast. And speaking of special something, we are coming back with new episodes, not just new episodes, but video episodes for our YouTube channel and we'll have the regular podcast out on the you know podcast uh planetatepodcast.com uh but we're going to have a special guest joining us because May 8th 2023 is our fifth count them five finger fifth anniversary chief engineer bob will be here. Reconnaissance officer Karen will be here, who's not here today because of the Zindi interfering with her interocitor, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Lord Bloodraw will be joining yours truly, who will be back podcasting. Um, Chief, what are we going to be talking about on May 8th? Well, yeah, it's our fifth anniversary, five years, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about Season three of Picard. That's because right. I don't think we really intended to when the season three started, but man, did it get good as the season went on. So uh, we'll be talking about that. And, uh, you know, if we run out of things to say, then maybe we'll do a little bit on Mandalorian season three. Uh, but yeah, it should be, should be a blast. Uh, full motion video will be moving around on you. <laughs> it should be fine. So we'll, from now on, instead of just having a static graphic on our YouTube episode, we're actually going to come out of our shell, if, if as you will, and uh, appear before you on That's video. Right. So uh, we've done a couple little video episodes before, but this one, this will be like, from now on, we'll do video episodes. That's right. That'll be our regular way of podcasting, at least through our YouTube channel. And uh, speaking of YouTube, if you guys can do us a huge favor, like, subscribe, and comment, and share that YouTube channel with your friends and neighbors. We're trying to build our presence on YouTube. Once we hit the magic number of 1,000 subscribers, we can start doing live podcasts on YouTube. We can have and guests. things are gonna get crazy. <laughs> That's right. We can have guests. We can go to conventions. Um, we can go out to 
your house. Who knows? <laughs> Coming to but your town. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you guys can do that, uh, we would appreciate it. We're excited. We've been doing this for five years. We're looking forward to doing it for another 500 years. Uh, may the podcast gods be willing. Keep us alive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, on a serious note, Lieutenant Jasmine and I want to thank Bob and Karen for putting that little vignette together for the GoFundMe. Uh, I want to thank those of you who actually uh, donated to that GoFundMe and helped tremendously. Um you know, reestablishing yourself after something like a fire. And I, I'm like you guys, I've watched, you know, movies and, and news, uh, you know, the, the devastating earthquake uh, in, in this place and a tsunami in that place and a, a fire in this place. But when you go through something like that and you have to end up buying not just toothpaste and paper towels, but frying pans, toasters, fingernail clippers. We, we shouldn't have fingernail clippers. All those little things uh, add up, and and we're lucky we have jobs, we're gainfully employed, but you're looking at a lifetime worth of stuff that you need on a daily basis, and and you guys helping us out was just amazing. Um, as far as uh, you know, the house goes, we are going to rebuild. Um, we're talking with uh, architect and a builder uh, right now. Hopefully, sooner than 12 months, we have the rental home set up here for 12 months. And um, yeah, good things are going to be coming in the future. I have missed the podcast. I, I joked around on Facebook and I, you know, I hear the echo in my mind. I close my eyes and I can hear five. Hey, you knuckleheads. What are you? <laughs> um, but yeah, look, there's a lot of good stuff uh, that we wanted to cover before the fire. There's a lot of new stuff we hadn't planned. Like Bob said, we hadn't planned talking about Picard. But that was just such an amazing uh, series. So was Mandalorian. Um, and we had, we had like a, uh, a number of kind of classic movies we were going to cover. And then suddenly Picard got so good that we pushed those off for an episode. And right. You know, we'll talk about Picard, but absolutely. And uh, you know, make sure you tune in on the May eighth episode. I will let you know if I had man tears for Mando and Picard, <laughs> or just Mando or just Picard, and what they were for. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so sit back, relax, enjoy one more classic episode. One more classic episode. And, eight, and then join us on May eighth. For an all new epic video and audio episode. This is Planet 8 signing off. Peace out. Continue transmission. <laughs> <laughs> and now back to your regularly scheduled program. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Greetings and welcome back to Planet 8. My fellow galactic travelers, I am your mission commander, Larry. Speaking to you from our hidden base here on Planet 8, with me as always is Chief Engineer Bob in the command center and circling Planet 8 in an orbital satellite is our reconnaissance officer, Karen. You've tuned into this episode and we will be talking about robots. Kicking us off straight away, we're going to throw it to the satellite. Karen, are you reading? Yes, I hear you loud and clear, Larry. (laughs) 
Very good. Karen, I'd like for you to share with us one of, because I know we all like robots, your picks for robot discussion on this podcast. Well, Larry, before I get to uh, one of my picks, I... I wanted to say a little bit about this topic because I think it's one of those things that is um, kind of in everybody's thoughts right now, whether it's robots or artificial intelligence. Mm. Um, there's probably no topic that um, instills both more fear and hope in humanity um, than the idea of sort of uh, – conscious uh machines and throughout uh the history of of science fiction um i think we've seen robots depicted as either uh helpful servants or terrifying threats um you have like the the robots in star wars like r2d2 or then you have things like the terminator and so we have this strange kind of dichotomy when we look at robots um and it's sort of, I, I think, how we look at um, technology in general, you know, as it can be used for good or ill. But robots, because in some ways they sort of embody um, another form of humanity, maybe a, a, a strange or evolved form of humanity, um, can instill a lot of emotions in people. Mm. And I think, um, for me, one of my picks... Um, probably illustrates this um, really well. Uh, I'm thinking not only of a character, but a specific episode of a television show. Um, I'm thinking of the character of Data, the android on Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. And uh, although I would not say the first couple of seasons of Next Gen were great seasons, um, in the second season of Next Generation, there was an episode um, called The Measure of a Man. Yes. Um, this is a really good episode, and it was all about basically whether uh, data was property, whether data was uh, self-aware and could make it his own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so data being an android and being um, incredibly useful uh, to Starfleet, uh, there was a desire on the part of a scientist to replicate data. Um, but Data was not convinced that the scientist really knew what he was doing, and so he objected to the scientist's plans. And so they held a trial because uh, essentially, you know, one side said, well, you know, Data's property, he can, it doesn't have a, a decision to make here. Mm-hmm. So Picard defends him, and, and uh, initially he has a difficult time defending him, uh, but then after a talk with uh, Guinan, played by Whoopi Goldberg, realizes that the case comes down to this idea of whether Data can be seen essentially as a being, a self-aware being or not. And if that's the case, then the idea of replicating him is basically the idea of making a race of servants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eventually the court rules that he can't be seen as property. They're not sure that he's self-aware, but if he even, if there's a chance that he is, um, then they, they really can't rule, uh, that he's property. And it was a really moving episode. Um, and it, it a lot of food for thought. Like, how do we even know we have consciousness? You know, how do you determine that? You know, there's kind of a, a nebulous, um, 
nebulous term, but I thought it was a really well done episode. And I, and the things that happened with data later on, uh, as a character were very fascinating. And I kind of, the one thing I wish they hadn't done with him as he explored this, uh, journey for humanity, um, you know, he was constantly learning from people, constantly expanding mm-hmm. his awareness. Um, they unfortunately at some point brought in this idea of an emotion chip, which kind of uh, negated all the growth he had had <laughs> right. over the course of the series. It was like, oh, you can just plug in an emotion chip. You didn't have to go through all this other stuff. But I think Data was a really great example of, um, uh, you know, probably on that positive side of of an android and you know this idea of life and it, i think a lot of these examples will probably have also go back to the whole frankenstein story too of mm. man creating life but also that fear of that life sort of supplanting him right. so anyway sorry to suck up so much airtime no, uh, no that was a good uh, i i really like that character and i i think um it illustrates a lot of the issues we have with robots and androids. It was, a, it was a great pick. And actually, I remember that episode very well. Uh, BBC America started playing The Next Generation, and I was catching up on all these episodes, and that was one of them that came on. And Riker, being for the uh, the prosecution, turns Data off. And yeah. it's like, whoa. That was like it's- the low point in the... It's quite uh, stunning when he shuts him off. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's trying to make a point. And, and this is like Data's friend, if not one of his best friends. And he's like, he had to do this, you know, because it was his his uh, mission. Uh, anyway, what what hurt me with Data, and I agree with you, and I don't know if that episode was before he created Lol or after, but that's that was another. Before. That was before. It was another amazing, amazing episode. and. Mm-hmm. You know, her, her, the memory cascading and having to say goodbye. And, uh, won't talk about it anymore. I don't want to tear up on a podcast, but, uh, <laughs> the way that they ended data and it just, it, it killed me. Very good friend of ours, Karen, uh, almost threw away every single episode of the lost DVD series because of the way that series ended. I almost felt the way with the next gen and what they did with data. Yeah, I I thought it was pretty ignoble. It's just so for those who haven't seen it, don't spoiler, bother. Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, what happened? Well, well I tell How you, how did they end data? Uh, I don't even want to. So, he, well, I know. Last I saw of him, he was in that one movie, and he was like, uh, he sacrifices himself. Or whatever, so. No, that was one of his high points. He ends up sacrificing himself for Picard and the crew of the enterprise but somehow part of his consciousness is transferred it was almost like now that i think about it like spock and mccoy in in the search for spock a piece of data is in what was the robot's name before be uh or am i anyway it was like yeah it was an earlier version of data that was kind of like dim-witted and kind of reminded me of abbott from abbott and costello and I guess Brent Spiner, you know, enjoyed playing that version of the character. What was the hell was it? Uh, heck, was the name of that movie though? It was. Um, that no, was Nemesis. Nemesis, and they chalked that thing up. It was like the writer of uh, Gladiator got involved, and Brent Spiner, and the Romulans, and the Remulans, and it was like whoa. And then, anyway, 
we're going way off topic, which we often do on Planet 8. I'm going to jump over to Bob. Bob, I want to hear about a robot. Oh, it's still talking robots, so that's good. <clears throat> well, I didn't want to talk about a robot. Ooh. I want to talk about a type of robot. Do tell. And, of course, that would be the classic Japanese super robots. Started off by Mazinger Z by Gonagai. And uh, basically, there's a few different types of these, quote, super robots. Uh, you have the type where you're be- where they're being controlled mm-hmm. from afar, like a gigantor or like a giant robo. Or you have the type that are piloted, which was uh, basically kicked off by Mazinger Z. And then you also have uh, later on, and we'll get into this in a little bit, when Gundam was uh, introduced... They were more like, they weren't so sentient. They were just tanks. Mm. Tanks that were piloted by, by people. But mm-hmm. there's robots that combine together from different vehicles and ships and things. There's robots that uh, that change or transform that would later become like the Transformers or GoBots or that type of thing. But, uh, you know, the ones back, like I said, in like the 70s, you had, uh, they were just like giant metallic samurai that were basically piloted by... Uh, by a human. And, uh, yeah, you have Toei, I obviously kicked it off with Mazinger Z, uh, with Gonagai. And with Gonagai, they had things like, uh, like Mazinger Z, Great Mazinga, Grandizer, um, Jig of Steel, Get a Robo, Get a Robo G, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there was also Nippon Sunrise, which, uh, kind of has some of the ones I really grew up on. Uh, when I was in, Back in the San Francisco Bay Area, KEMO TV 20 had a Japanese language uh, programming on Sunday nights. And one of the shows they would show was Raideen. And uh, Raideen was from Nippon Sunrise. And, um, you know, they had it subtitled. It was, you know, these are all like anime shows. But um, that's just sort of like kicked off my love for the whole super robot genre. And Nippon Sunrise, after the success of Raideen, went on to do things like Combattler V, Voltus V, which were basically com- combination robots, uh, Zambot three, Dighton three, And then they actually came out with Gundam, which kind of changed the whole landscape of, of the robot world. And uh, yeah, as far as over here in the States, um, quite a few actually made it over. You know, back in the 60s, it was uh, Tetsujin 28 that made it over here as Gigantor. Fred Ladd brought that over, along with Astro Boy and Kimba and etc. Mazinger Z did actually make it over here as Transor Z, but uh, one of the best things about Mazinger Z is basically the soundtrack. (laughs) And they stripped the soundtrack and just uh, put in, like, typical early 80s synthesizer-type music, Mm. which really wasn't good. Um, and then some of the other, you know, toy robots like Grandizer, Guy King, Dangar Days, Get Robo G, basically combined with Starzinger to make a show called Force Five, which showed in some places around the country, uh, where they would do like Monday would be Grandizer, Tuesday would be Guy King, Wednesday. So it was like syndicated, huh. and each day you get a different right. show, and they just right. rotate each week. Um, Shout Factory, in fact, has, um, Guy King and Dangardace out on DVD now. You can get them. And what those were were uh, 
episodes that were combined into two or three movies. Huh. And uh, Bill Winkler, a friend of the show, he uh, did the dubbing on those, as he did with Techaman back in the 70s. And, um, you know, basically, uh, those are, those have been released as, as movies. Um, Golion and Dairaga 15 were combined to make Voltron, which a lot of people have seen or probably heard of. Uh, Tatsunoko did Techaman, which we just spoke about in Gordian, but they also did Mospita, Macross, and Southern Cross, which came together as Robotech, which, uh, was really influential to a lot of American Japanese animation fans right. throughout the years. And, um, and basically even earlier this year, Fathom Events had a, uh, a movie event with Mazinger Z Infinity for mm. Funimation, which was an amazing movie. And, uh, it should be out on DVD, Blu-ray at some point. Um, right now it just made the, the theater rounds, but, uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Really captures the flavor. It's brand new, but it really captures the flavor of the classic super robot shows. So, uh, Cool. That would be my contribution, and I'm proud of it. I, I noticed that there was not a certain golden robot that turned into a rocket. Well, I was going more for the animation. Ah, but, okay. Uh, but there was a golden robot that became a cigarette lighter called Golighton. <laughs> but uh, I will leave uh, Space Giants to other people. We'll leave Space Giants alone for right now. Um. Karen and Bob came up with some really good robots. I kind of went to the fun side of the spectrum. Uh, if you have not tuned in to a program called Red Dwarf, uh, I really, really recommend you do. It's British humor at its best. Talks about the last human alive, David Lister, uh, more than a million years into the future, and he's on board this mining ship called Red Dwarf. There's an accident on the ship. And uh, for different reasons, he's in stasis and the computer on board leaves him in stasis while everyone else dies from the radiation trying to protect Dave. The onboard computer named Holly goes kind of senile because it's by itself for a million years and it's steering the ship into deep space. The radiation levels come down. Dave Lister is brought out of stasis and his pet cat has evolved into a human form of a cat generations later. It's, you know, it's a million years later. This So the cat's on board to keep him company. And a hologram version of his not-so-good friend, uh, Rimmer, um, because the computer thinks that having a not-so-good friend will keep you sane uh, and, and give you meaning to your uh, life because what do you live for when there's nothing else out there? Anyway, Dave Lister loved um, g different kinds of gizmos and and stuff. There's also a, a robot on there called Crichton, uh, and I almost picked Crichton, but it, 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 what I went for was Talkie Toaster. Uh, Karen has watched Red Dwarf. I don't know if you saw the Talkie Toaster episode, Walker. I think I vaguely remember this, but not not very well. Well, so what happens is Dave Lister uh, goes, <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he just goes on shopping sprees and he buys this uh, Taiwanese toaster from a company called Crapola Inc. And, uh, you know, the whole purpose of the toaster is to toast 
and Dave's having a bad day and the toaster's trying to brighten up his day and it's this, you know, bright voice, chipper and this, uh, you know, the, the toaster says, may I ask you just one question? Would anyone like any toast? And he's like, no, nobody wants any toast. And the toaster engages in small talk and Dave's still not feeling good. And the toaster breaks the conversation, says, would you like a crumpet? No, I don't want a crumpet either. And feeling bad for himself. And it's just, you know, would you like a Pop-Tart? Would you like a, a, a bagel? Would you? It's, it's a, a stupid, uh, nonsensical robot that you know borderline might not even be considered a robot it's a talking toaster but i thought it was a lot of fun uh anything out there that can make us laugh uh either at ourselves or one another is something to uh to take a look at so that's that's go ahead it's like the descendant of alexa (laughs) you know it's funny because uh i was thinking about how i was thinking about siri you know because Walker, you kind of introed it with, you know, here we are as a society thinking about what is artificial intelligence and and where are we going? So, right. Will we go towards Hal or will we go towards Talkie the Toaster? I don't know. Stay tuned. (laughs) Walker, what else do you have for us out there? Well, the other um, character that I really enjoy, which I've done a lot of thinking about and writing about, Mm -hmm. um, would be the vision, uh, ah. the comic comic book character, mm-hmm. who of course now is also a movie character. Yes. Um, but uh, this is a character uh, who appeared in Marvel Comics in the Avengers originally, um, created by Roy Thomas. Um, the story behind that, interestingly enough, um, uh, I actually contacted Roy Thomas because I was writing an article about this. So I, I, he's a very nice man, mm-hmm. uh, very interesting to talk to. Um, and uh, he's basically he um, kind of felt frustrated uh, because at that time there was, uh, for whatever reason, there was this editorial decree that he could not use um, the big three of Captain America, Iron Man and Thor and the Avengers, I guess, cause they had their own books and there was a lot of, um, continuity to deal with. And so he, uh, he had these other Avengers who did not have their books and he's, he wanted to create a new character. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, Roy Thomas is a big fan of the golden age superheroes. And uh, there was a Golden Age superhero called the Vision, who was actually an extra-dimensional being and very spooky. He could turn into mist and all this stuff. And he really wanted to bring this character in. Mm. But for some reason at that time, Stan Lee, uh, Stan the Man, uh, he was very adamant. He wanted an android. I want an android on the Avengers. And so in sort of a best of both worlds compromise, uh, Roy Thomas took the the kind of look and power of the old Golden Age vision and uh, the android uh, origin and created the vision that we all know and love today. Um, and so the, I think the thing that was very appealing about the vision, um, at least back in the day, was... Um, and they didn't call him an android. They called him a synthesoid. There was this distinction hmm. that he was a sort of more like a synthetic man, that he was made of synthetic parts, but was in all respects, you know, designed like a human being. Um, 
But I think that, you know, he was interesting and that he was very much sort of like a Mr. Spock character and that he was kind of the outsider. Mm. But, you know, this powerful being that the Avengers relied on, you know, to get things done and, and so forth, but always sort of on the outside looking in. And, of course, they began sort of this um, uh, love that he had for the Scarlet Witch, which for a while went on where both of them were fe having feelings but not acting upon it and everything. And so, um, you know, it was a very interesting character uh, in that, you know, how could this, this, you know, android have these feelings and how did, you know, how could this be and so forth and... Um, I think that, um, the movie did a really great job of depicting the character as he was in the very early days of the comics as well. Right, right. Uh, you know, uh, that definitely came across, uh, that, you know, he was struggling to understand his emotions that he had as, as, uh, being and in in the comics they explain it in that he was programmed with the brain patterns of a of an actual human being. It turned out to be Wonder Man, who I don't want to go too down far down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. It was another a deceased superheroes, and I think in the movie you kind of get the impression that he's been imprinted upon by you know Tony Stark and Bruce Banner Bruce. and Ultra, yeah. But, no no um, Infinity Stone in the in the comic version, though, right? No, not at all. He just had a solar gem that right. that he used. Uh, but over the years, uh, he's become much more robotic, much more like a computer. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons for that, including I, I think the major one was that John Byrne kind of stripped him of his personality in the 80s in right. West Coast Avengers. But I think that he was a very interesting character early on. He was a mainstay of the Avengers, and it was certainly a character I really adored. Um, and again, had that outsider appeal that I think a lot of kids um, really go for. And, uh, you know, that whole android angle, at least back, you know, in the 70s, was a really cool thing now everybody's got you know basically a, a little robot in your pocket that you talk to all day so it's right. probably not quite as cool <laughs> but but then it was um it was a really um novel idea yeah that was a good one i remember reading about uh, avengers and vision and all that stuff it was a sad day indeed when they stripped away his emotions and his uh that part of his personality kick it over to bob well, you brought it up. You mentioned Space Giants, so... Uh, I did. There were some robotic TV shows that were not animation over in Japan. Uh, of course, you had Johnny Sacco and, and his flying robot. Yes. You had Space Giants. You had uh, Mock Baron, Red Baron. You had quite a few. So, But to kind of go back into Space Giants, Space Giants was definitely, uh, you know, the robot family that all turned into rockets. Uh which was Goldar and Silvar and Gam, mm. and then uh, mainly concentrated on the uh, relationship between Gam and Miko, who was a, a boy from Japan who they gave a whistle to. He could use the whistle to call the robots, like one whistle for Gam, two for Silvar, and three for Goldar. And, uh, you know, obviously, if he's calling Gam, it's to get him out of some earthly type situation if he's calling goldar then it's probably to fight some giant monster uh the interesting thing about the series though 
was in order to have better monsters in it than, say, Johnny Sacco or the more higher-budgeted Ultraman, they would have each uh, story in the series would be serialized over five episodes. So you'd have the same monster for like five episodes. So instead of in a 52-episode series, instead of making 52 different monsters and maybe reusing one or two once in a while, mm-hmm. um, you know, they made one-fifth that amount. That's a good and point. I remember the, that. Uh, they were able to put more budget into a single monster suit than uh, than having to make them. And, you know, too, you've also got the hero suits, which uh, since those are in every single episode, they get beaten to hell. So wow. um, you have to, like, remake the hero suits once in a while, too. Yeah, that but, kind uh, of differentiated itself to me yeah. uh, as a lad watching these, that it was more serialized over several mm-hmm. episodes. And the other shows, bam. You know, yeah. Ultraman defeats the enemy and new one. Well, there was some reoccurring monsters. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. And of course, um, you had Rodak, the, the main villain. Yeah. But also that, that whole series, which was uh, based on the, the manga Ambassador Magma, uh, that was originally drawn and created by Osamu Tezuka, who was basically the Walt Disney of Japan, right. or was until he passed away. Yeah. Um, and he basically was the one that did Astro Boy and Kimba and yeah. you know quite a few others and uh, so yeah it basically it, it came from I'm sure it's you know he didn't think it was anywhere near what his comic was but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was basically what it was based on so I, he's, I he's loved it as the creator of, of Space Giants I, I loved the intro to uh, to the Space Giants um, the music, the you know, the cowboy boots jumping down, and the I oh, was just. Well, you also have a lot of animation in it too. A yeah. lot of the spaceships and things were all animated yeah. instead of practical. That's true. You know, model effects. It was a fun yeah. series. There, there were cowboy boots. Cowboy boots, and he had spurs too. You know, what? Dun 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 dun. Goldar, a fifty-foot robot, dun dun dun, and his space family with Methuselah. Oh my God, Walker! If you've never seen it, YouTube it. It is the the intro. The series is not as good as the intro. I have to be honest, but that intro is like amazing, and the music is so catchy. I missed out on so much. I, you know, that's the one thing I I don't understand is why. The Los Angeles stations didn't carry these programs. I mean, we we got like Godzilla movies, we got Johnny the Johnny Sacco movie, but we didn't get the um, the programs, the serialized you know programs. So I, I never got to see any. Well, of this well you stuff. guys you guys got Get Smart. We didn't get Get Smart. So you got Jaime <laughs> I, the robot. I don't I don't there know if it's a I, I don't <laughs> know if it's a great trade. I mean, <laughs> the, thing, the thing we had up up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area was basically, um, it, of course, the Godzilla movie showed and Ultraman showed. It was actually Bob Wilkins who hosted say, Creature God Features. Bless Bob Wilkins. Uh, when he left Creature Features, or the last year he was with Creature Features and Beyond, uh, he did a show called Captain Cosmic, and he was always looking for content. And uh, he basically would show Johnny Sacco, Space Giants, Spectre Man. And that's really kind of where we got all that in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. You know, slightly edited to fit uh, Captain Cosmic and TT2 in there. Uh-huh. But uh, 
Yeah, he, that would be the, the first place most of us saw. Flash was. Gordon, too. I mean, he, and he, he brought back Ultraman. So. Every, yeah, everything on that show. No Jaime, though. And Star Blazers. Yeah, that was, that was a good show, too. But Yeah, the, the guy we had in L.A. favored Popeye, so I think you guys did much better. <laughs> I don't know. I love Popeye going, growing up. He's oh, okay. Ma- the old Max Flasher Popeyes, that was, you can't beat those. Hands down, cannot be beat. Oh yeah, I mean when I when I was going to the gym and and trying to get fit, I would I would have that Popeye theme song on my uh, MP3 and just strong to the finish because I eat me spinach. Anyway, yeah, now we're getting off subject. Now we're getting way off subject. Bringing it or back. Was Popeye a, a robot? I think or an actual sailor man. I think Bluto would be more of the robot. Yeah, I could see Bluto as a cyborg. Yeah, because he was always strong. Popeye needed to cheat and have spinach. Popeye didn't cheat. That's that's very, you know, organic. That's not cheating. It's healthy cheating, but it is cheating. I mean, he he couldn't do it on his own. Well, you know, are you going to say Batman cheats because he's got a utility belt? I mean, so does the Hulk. Or, or, you know, Captain America had the super soldier formula, so. Oh, you just destroyed my childhood, Walker. Me and George all, Lucas, all, baby. All my heroes are cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, getting back that's, on. That's your lesson for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't do cheat. Transitioning into cheats. From spinach to super serum. Let's toss it to the satellite. No, just kidding. Um, Why not? Why not? Uh, I was just going to mention, there's one honorable mention here that I wanted to toss out, but I had no real value. I just was curious if you guys had ever seen a movie, it's from 1957, called Kronos. And it's about this really bizarre, gigantic robot that stomps its way across the countryside, absorbing energy. I did not. I think Bob said affirmative. Friend friend of the program, Bob Ekman, loves that movie. Hmm. Yeah, I tried to uh, pull that thing up on Netflix. They didn't have it. Um, and I don't have it in my own collection, but... Uh, I may have a DVD of it, I believe. It, it's, I would have it's to look off the screen. definitely one of those things that um, I recall from my early childhood watching. And, uh, yeah, the legs on the, the robot, I believe, were were animated... Uh, but I just remember it was just like this big box that like stomped across the U.S. and, and absorbed energy and uh, not even it's sort of a robot, but maybe not. But uh, anyway, well, the legs were supposed to be energy, right? That's why they were animated. Were they energy? I thought I they think. were like physical, was but it, I, it I had know. like a ray that it was like sucking up all the energy out of. And then you have to feed it more energy. And I need to borrow this DVD. Of, I'll have I to know. dig out the you, DVD. Larry, you will fall asleep watching it. <laughs> it's like that. I, uh, I, I predict. Uh, Daijuman. Daimajin. Daimajin. Yes, I yeah. brought you over to watch that, and it was the best sedative you ever had. But <laughs> I enjoy it. But hey, it's all about variety. Daimajin was not a robot, by the way. No, no, he was no. not. But, but he he did put me to sleep. He was he was a vengeful spirit. I oh, think. you, you got to watch like the last five or ten minutes of each film, and 
Yeah. That's the key. Unless you're, unless you're now into, you tell me. Unless you're into various samurai films or whatever, then uh, you can sit and eat pizza the first like hour or whatever, and then watch the destruction and vengeance at the end. Yeah, those films were brutal. I mean, a lot of people hurt in the first like forty-five minutes, and it's like, oh my god, it's depressing. And then <laughs> big rock man comes alive, and vengeance ensues. We are way off. Track. We are way off. So to bring us back as a form of time traveling, Doctor Who is uh, one of my favorite. Actually, Tom Baker was my Doctor Who. Everybody has their Doctor Who. Tom Baker was mine. He had this wonderful, I won't call him a pet because it wasn't a pet. His robot was called K-9 and it was in the shape of this dog. Um, uh, but again, it had snarky little remarks. Uh had a laser that shot, I think, out of its nose. Um, yeah, concealed in his nose. Um, and it was just a, a different take on a robot, you know. I, I, I grew up, I'm sure we all did, watching uh, Lost in Space. And that was like the robot of all robots. It played guitars, it sang, it protected, it told you about danger. But uh, See, if, that, if that was a robot, if I could own a robot, that would be the robot I would own. Yeah, him and him or Robbie. Those would be uh, if if I mm -hmm. could. Uh, that's a good. I'll, I'll leave K nine alone because there's not much more to tell other than laser shooting out his nose and him well, was, talking uh, back was to the Robert doctor. Kinoshita, right? That designed both Robbie and and and, uh, and the design. Yeah. Walker, if you could own a robot, that's a that's a great subject. Which robot would you own? I'd kind of like to have Gort from Day of the Earth stood still because that guy, nobody is going to mess, mess with, with him. Yeah, oh, I yeah he say, just I like stands on my Rosie. yard and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't make me claw to. <laughs> Although it would be kind of hard, like if you needed to go somewhere, you can't really fit him in the car, so that's that's a little bit problematic. You just jump up on his shoulders and take him for a ride. He's very slow. Have you seen the guy walk? Yeah, He's well, you know, very, he can't very be in a slow. hurry, but. So really, you know, probably the more practical one would be to own something like Data. But then you feel bad because it's like, oh, he's really aware. I don't right. know if he should be owning know. him. You know. Yeah, yeah. I I think I'd go with the Lost in Space robot. Maybe be amusing. If Robbie had had his car, I'd, I'd take Robbie. Or, or yeah, Robbie. Oh yeah, Robbie yeah. Cruising around in that. Yeah, and he can make a lot of stuff too. Yeah, I Ruby was thinking Sapphires he could like, and... make iced teas for me and stuff. <laughs> he has his own dispenser, you know? <laughs> That's true. I would not want Hal, though. Well, he's really a computer, right? So no, he's, That's really, true. he's really a backstabbing son of a... <laughs> More of an artificial intelligence. So let me ask you guys. Um, we didn't talk about the, the rules... The laws, I'm sorry, not the rules. The, the three laws of robotics. The three laws of robotics. Isaac Asimov. They kind of incorporated them into the RoboCop uh, movie, a version of those laws. But uh, go ahead, Walker. Why don't you tell us those you laws are, of robotics? So, so, yeah, so Isaac Asimov, famous right. science fiction writer, uh, put these together. He wrote a, a lot of different books that involved robots um, this is going way back. This isn't something yeah. that was, you know. So the the first time these appeared were was in 1942 in a story called Runaround, 
Uh, and they've been modified over the years, but the, the basic laws are that um, a robot may not injure a human being or mm-hmm. through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The second one is a robot must obey orders given to it by a human beings, except when such orders would conflict with the first law. Hmm. And then the, the final law is that a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So, I mean, that works for robots that are basically servants. But, you know, you, if you had a robot that was supposed to be a soldier or something like that, obviously that's not going to work too well. It makes me think of that classic Star Trek episode with Rock. And oh, uh, Kirk, the old ones. The old ones. That is the equation. Uh, he didn't have a problem, really. Uh. <laughs> no, he he, he he figured it out pretty quick and, and, yeah. and got busy. Um, well, see, now, if you could own the Sherry Jackson robot. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. I don't know. I might take the Kirk robot. But I digress. Um, yeah, so those the rules of robotics. Uh, it, it's amazing to me that Asimov came up with those decades before now you know and you talk about a true visionary you know just making these (laughs) rules up based on i mean there were no robots back then no but they right they definitely they they had automation in the sense that they had factories and and there was ideas that you know oh you, you might be able to you know build these mechanical men at some point well, I know, you know, uh, they had the Gollum, they had the Frankenstein monster, which were not sure. robots, but they were kind of like creations, you know, that, that we had no control over. Except for Frankenstein Jr., he was a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Animated series. Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossible. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just actually, derailed the whole episode right there. <laughs> if you think about it, probably very few film uh, robots really follow the laws of robotics because they're usually out there killing people. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) certainly. um, Well, that's another question, too. It's like all these companies are developing robots now and artificial artificial intelligence and all that. Are they following these rules? Do they have those posted up on the walls of their factories or do they just ignore the whole thing and we're doomed? Well, that's one of those things that is being debated by a lot of people, um, you know, in in places like Google. There was actually a big revolt of Google employees who were concerned that um, some of the contracts they have with the military go against uh, what the company stands for or not ethical because they're worried that they're going to use artificial intelligence to actually target and uh, kill people on the battlefield. And there's a feeling that, you know, human beings have to still be in that decision tree. Like, yes, you could have a drone fly overhead and spot targets, but the drone shouldn't make the decision to actually shoot the target. A person should make that decision. Uh, again, but, I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Walker. But, you know, will our enemies decide to do the same thing or will they say oh the drone's more efficient let the drone make the decision it's faster than a human being back to star trek captain dunsell 
it's yeah, it's a very scary thing, you know. These are all technologies that are very real. You have people like Elon Musk or the late Stephen Hawking who are saying, you know, we have to be concerned about artificial intelligence and where it could go. And uh, they're not wrong, but it's like any technology, right? We there are good applications, like in medicine, artificial intelligence can diagnose things very quickly, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I want a drone making a decision about who to shoot. I agree. I mean, or is it just going to, is it just going to become wars between drones where you don't even have people on the battlefield on either side. And it's just who knows? Go, going back to Star, <laughs> back Trek, Star Trek. What was that episode where it was like, well, you have to go into the you know disintegration chamber. That's right. <laughs> Then we need Kirk to go and, you know, talk the computer into blowing itself up. <laughs> Only Kirk. Yes. We, we won't get into Landrew in the red hour. We don't have enough time. Uh, <laughs> this is drawing our uh, today's episode about robots to a conclusion. And I want to remind everybody we're going to put our uh, our information out there for the web page and Facebook and Twitter and everything. The conversation continues after the podcast. What would be some of your robot picks or a favorite robot? Or if you could own a robot, uh, what robot would that be? Or why would you not want to own a robot? Um, You know, we want to hear from you. Be a part of the conversation. Uh, At this point in the podcast, we want to draw your attention to our sensor sweep. And this is where we go ahead and bring to your attention some of the greatest and latest products and or shows that have come across our attention throughout the known universe. We want to put a special uh, thank you out to Project Pimento, www.projectpimento.com. Uh, they are allowing us to use some of their music in our show. And, uh, if you get a chance to go to their webpage, give them a look, they have some great CDs available and, uh, they do live shows throughout the, uh, San Francisco Bay area. If you get a chance to check them out live, uh, please do so. Today's sensor sweep, your mission commander is going to share with you a comic book that came across my desk. Uh, Action Comics 1000, and this was the celebration of Superman. Um, I'm a huge Superman fan. Uh, The comic books, movies, TV show, I'm one of the few people in the universe that enjoyed Justice League and hopes there's a Justice League 2, as well as a a Superman 3 or Man of Steel 3, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, on his birthday, Superman... uh, uh, in the comic book, uh, there's several stories, actually. And the story I'm looking at is Never Ending Battle. It's his birthday, and he's recounting the events that occurred right before his arrival. He's out on patrol, and he gets teleported uh, to the lair of Vandal Savage. And he hooks him up in this device Superman's, you know, set up there and can uh, weaponize hypertime. And so Vandal tells Superman, you know, obviously as all good villains do, what the device uh, will do. It's going to trap Superman in an endless time loop, you know, because uh, how do you, do, you know, how do you beat Superman? You got to, you know, 
can't beat them face to face. Very few people can. So anyway, Vandal comes up with this time loop thing. And uh, Superman's never going to be able to stop Vandal from taking over the world because he's going to be stuck reliving all these adventures throughout the thousand issues of Action Comics. So Vandal activates the device and he sends Superman into his own past. And Superman awakens in 1930s Metropolis. And he finds himself battling a group of gangsters. And uh, Kal-El or Clark realizes that he's missing some of his powers. But he's kind of exhilarated, uh, you know, realizing I can't fly, but I can leap, you know, taller than a building and so on and so forth. But anyway, as the time loop progresses, Vandal throws Superman from adversary to adversary, including former villains and, and alternate uh, versions of, of Superman. Um, so, but despite this, Clark doesn't back down. He uses time to his advantage, overcoming Vandal's attacks and besting Vandal once and for all. And as Clark returns home, he realizes, you know, in, in every incarnation of him, that he would it would always end with him reuniting with his family. And it was kind of cool because, you know, each page kind of played homage to. Superman of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and they drew him and gave him the powers, you know, of, of that decade or at that time. And um, he's reunited with Lois and his son. And, you know, they got like a birthday cake or something. And Superman reflects and says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Staying true to yourself, abiding by the morals and ethics ingrained in you by your mom and dad, along with the lessons you learned in your own life can pull you through the darkest moments. And I'm a big sap and I'm a big Superman fan. So that that just touched my heart. And the, the whole book is fun. It's, it's action packed. It's the thousandth uh, issue of of the action comics book. Um, you can talk to Walker. I haven't bought a comic book in, in years for different reasons. But I, I did actually go out and, and pick this one up. And if you guys get a chance to check it out, you don't have to get the book. You can go to dccomics.com and uh take a look at it for yourself uh i'm gonna check and see if my co-podcasters have checked out action comics bob karen oh not i make mine marvel not the biggest dc fans <laughs> on the cast oh batman's batman's cool but... we, we, i don't know which i is never okay. really got into superman i don't know why i think he was just too powerful too indestructible too Perfect. I had a friend say, you know, Superman can fart and blow out the sun. You know, what's, but you know, I don't know that he'd do that. Well, by accident. No. <laughs> anyway, on that gaseous note of uh, fun, uh, guys, I want to uh, just really thank you all for tuning in once again to our podcast. Planet 8 wouldn't be anything without uh, you guys listening in to us, um, giving us feedback. Uh, online, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out our information to you. You can check out our website www.planet8podcastblogspot.blogspot.com. Our Twitter is Planet Eight Cast. Our Facebook is Planet Eight Podcast. Give us a follow. Give us some feedback. Become part of the conversation. Let us know what you thought about robots or action comics or superman or or you can always comment on some of our past podcasts as well 
It has been our delight and joy to be with you. And until we see you next time, signing off from Planet 8 and Transmission. Thank you.